Um, so today's reading is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, and it's the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks for reading, Samara. Uh, we've been working through Luke's Gospel this term and we've got to this famous story about uh, the lost son or the lost sons, often called the prodigal son, and we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about it this morning. It's great to have Evelyn's dedication and to hear those um, commitments that James and Lily made. And uh, you would have heard, uh, one of them was to raise um, Lily, or uh, to, to teach Evelyn about Jesus, to raise her in a way that she understands the gospel, the, the Christian message, and how it applies to her life. Isaac's just handing around some uh, outlines of the talk, so you can follow where we're going to go. To teach her the gospel, the heart of um, the Christian message. And this story that we just had read uh, helps us get to the heart of the gospel, the heart of what Christianity is all about. Because in this story, we're, we're given a window into the heart of God himself. Uh, we're going to look at the story under five headings that are on your sheets. 
Uh, firstly, this story helps us understand the nature of sin. Uh, today, that word sin is often associated with things that are naughty but nice. You know, the double chuck uh, mud cake, it's so good, it's sinful, that sort of thing. But when the Bible uses the word sin, what it's really talking about is a bad attitude to God. A bad attitude to God. In Jesus' story here, that the father represents God and the two sons represent people and the ways that we relate to God. Uh, we're going to focus on the younger son today and the way that he relates to his father helps us understand what the Bible is talking about when it uses that word sin. We need to understand in Jesus' day, to be a son meant responsibility. Sons had responsibility to their family, a particular responsibility to keep the family together. It was sons who inherited, daughters didn't. Now, I'm not defending that, but we need to understand the culture. The sons would inherit the family land and resources so that they could keep the family business going and provide for all the other members of the family which explains something of why this, this younger son's actions were so bad. You know, our secular Western culture prizes personal freedom, doesn't it? Uh, we cheer for the, the people who throw off authority and pursue their dreams. And so we might hear this story from Jesus and initially think that this younger son is a bit of a hero as he throws off the authority and the, the kind of shackles of his family and pursues his own dreams. We might at least have some sympathy for him. I mean, surely all he's asking for is rightfully his and he's got the right to use it however he wants. What we need to understand is that the inheritance that a son would receive was never meant to be used in the way that this son uses it. This younger son is turning his back on his family, turning his back on his responsibilities, permanently lowering the family's wealth. But more than that, what he does is deeply, deeply offensive to his father. The people listening to Jesus would have heard this story and been outraged at the way this younger son behaves. I mean, think about it. When would a son normally inherit? When their father dies. What this son is effectively saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead and out of the way so I could get my hands on your stuff. You know, I've been waiting long enough and you haven't died. Just give me the money. I don't care about you. I don't care about the family. All I care about is me. Our culture may be different, but we can understand, can't we, just how outrageous, just how offensive what this son does is. And this helps us understand the nature of sin, a bad attitude to God. It is effectively saying to God, S-I-N, shove off God, I'm in charge, no one tells me what to do. That's what this son is saying, isn't he? Shove off dad. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want. I don't want no one telling me what to do. And isn't that how we relate to God so much of the time? You know, we live in his world and we use his stuff, but we ignore him. We don't love or thank him in the way that we should. We live our lives with little, if any, reference to him. 
We hate the idea of God having authority over us and telling us how we should live. That's the nature of sin, a bad attitude to God. The younger son expresses it in reckless, wild living. The older son actually has the same attitude. We're not going to look into that now, but he actually has the same attitude to his dad. The nature of sin. Secondly, we see in this story the heart of God. Jesus doesn't tell us how the father felt when his son walked out, but we can imagine I think with some certainty how he felt. Heartbroken. Heartbroken that his son should care so little about their relationship. And that is how God feels about our sin. He is heartbroken. And yet like the father in the story, God longs for people to come back to him. He longs for people to return, to come home, for relationship to be restored. What the younger son does is deeply offensive to his father. What we do is deeply offensive to God. And yet Jesus says that this father responds in an incredible way. You know, if Jesus' listeners were outraged at what the son does, they would have been even more outraged at what the father does. This story is often called the prodigal son. That word prodigal means reckless, as this son goes off in reckless, wild living. One author, Tim Keller, has said the story could be called the prodigal God because it speaks about the reckless love of this father to his wayward son. Let's look at it. Verse 20, we're told, When the son was still far off, his father saw him. Which suggests, doesn't it, that this father was constantly on the lookout, constantly checking down the road, looking, longing, waiting, hoping that his son would return. And when he saw him, Jesus says, his heart was filled with compassion. Not anger, not judgment, but compassion. And then we're told this father runs to his son, which would have been an incredibly undignified thing for him to do. For a mature man to hitch up his robe and run down the road would have been shameful. But this father doesn't care. He just wants to get to his boy as quickly as he can. And when he gets there, he enfolds his son in his arms and embraces him and kisses him. The son starts to deliver his I'm so sorry speech, but the father won't even let him finish. He calls to his servants, bring a robe, bring a ring, sandals for his feet, let's have a party. This son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. When the father says he's alive again, he's saying he's back in the family. That the son had opted out, abandoned the family, and lost his status as a son. But the father is saying, I'm bringing him back in. And I'm giving him the full rights of sonship again. He doesn't need to earn his way as a hired servant. He doesn't need to grovel and do penance. It's just free, reckless, undeserved kindness. 
Jesus is saying this is the heart of God. He is a prodigal God, reckless in his love and grace. I don't know how you think about God, but Jesus says this is what he's really like. The heart of God. Thirdly, the cost of our salvation. In traditional Christian teaching, there is a cost. Salvation comes at a cost. There's a cost to our forgiveness. God forgives us freely. We don't need to do anything, but there is a cost. There's a price to be paid. And that price is paid when Jesus died on the cross, in our place, taking the punishment that our sin deserves. But in this story, there doesn't seem to be a cost, does there? The father just forgives and welcomes his son. But that is to miss one of the most wonderful things that this story points to. This is the the third of three related stories that Jesus tells. He tells a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin and now a lost son. In the first story, the sheep gets lost and the farmer goes out and searches for it, finds it and brings it home. In the second story, a woman loses her coin and she turns her house upside down, searching for it till she finds it. In this third story, a son is lost, but no one goes. No one goes to search for this lost son and to bring him home. And by grouping the three stories together, it raises the question, who should have gone? And in Jesus' day, there was only one answer, the older brother. There's a true story of a young American soldier who was missing in action during the Vietnam War. His family in America received news that he was missing And as time went on and searches were made and he wasn't found, they became increasingly concerned. Eventually, the man's older brother flew from America to Vietnam to search for his younger brother. Went out into the battlefields, the jungles, the most dangerous places to try and find him. And the older brother was uh, untouched. He survived because both sides in the war so respected his quest. Some people called him simply the brother. He was a true older brother, wasn't he? And the older brother in Jesus' story should have done the same. Should have said to his father, Father, my younger brother has played the fool. He's gone off, he's abandoned the family, but I will go and search for him and if I find him I will bring him back into the family at my own expense at the end of the story the father goes out to his older brother his older son and he says my son everything I have is yours and when he says that he's speaking the truth two sons younger one goes off takes his share of the inheritance which means everything that is left belongs to the older son. He stands to inherit everything. Every robe, every ring, every fattened calf. The only way the younger son can be reinstated to the family is at the expense of the older brother. Now in this story, the younger son 
has an older brother who complains bitterly about bearing that cost. But in our story, we don't. You see, for God the Father to bring us back, to reinstate us into his family as children, heirs, well, that can only happen at the expense of our older brother. What kind of older brother would we need? Well, not just one who comes from America to Vietnam, but one willing to come from heaven to earth. Not just one who risks his life, but who willingly gives up his life. Not just one who simply gives up a robe, a ring, a fattened calf, a finite cost, but one willing to pay the infinite debt of our sin. Jesus Christ is our older brother, the one who willingly came and sought us out and bore the cost to bring us home to God. He was stripped naked on the cross so that we could be clothed in a royal robe we don't deserve. He was shamed and humiliated on the cross so that we could be honored and receive the full rights of sons. He was condemned so we could be kissed. He was forsaken so that we would always know the Father's embrace. Do you see, we have an older brother the Lord Jesus, the true son, the true son of the father who was treated as a rebel so that we rebels could be treated as sons. That is the cost of our salvation. Fourthly, the privileges of adoption. I've printed on the bottom of your sheets a few verses from the book of Galatians where Paul says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That word redeem means to rescue at a cost. Jesus came to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child, And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The greatest blessing of the gospel is to be adopted as children of God, to know God, to know him as our father. Three quick things about the the privileges of this new identity. Firstly, extraordinary value. Archbishop William Temple said, my worth is what I'm worth to God. And that is a marvelous great deal because Christ died for me. You may not feel loved and valued. Uh, You may have had a father who neglected you, even abandoned you. That may be your story. But if you're in Christ, you have a new story. A father in heaven who cannot love you more than he does. Let me say, if you struggle to really believe that God loves you, that he accepts you, then meditate on this story. See yourself in this story that Jesus tells. Know that when the Heavenly Father looks on you, his heart is filled with compassion. And he runs to you and he embraces you and he kisses you and delights in you. You have extraordinary value to him. 
then intimate access. I wonder if you've seen the, the picture, I should have got it on the screen, but there's a photo of JFK sitting in the Oval Office at his desk with John Jr., his son, under the desk, peering out. It speaks about the intimate access that a child has to their father. You know, just think how likely it would be for you to get to see the President of the United States or the Queen of England or the Sultan of Brunei. Probably not very likely. But their children have immediate intimate access, don't they? And so it is with our Father in Heaven. We have immediate intimate access to him, to the King of Kings, the ruler of the universe, and we get to call him Abba, Father. Thirdly, future hope. Jesus says, as children of God, we stand to inherit the earth. And not just this earth, but a perfectly restored creation. We live in uncertain times, don't we? But this is saying, no matter what, no matter what financial mistakes you may make, or whether the stock market plummets tomorrow, you have an enormous, wonderful, certain inheritance coming to you if you're children of God. Finally, the family of the church. If we could be people who really grasp the reality of this story, really grasp that this is our identity, that we are beloved children of God, adopted at great cost. If we could grasp that, how would it impact our communal life? What kind of church would we be if we really believed we're brothers and sisters in the family of God? Let me tell this story, and I'll finish with this. Ernest Gordon was a British soldier in World War II, captured by the Japanese, and set to work on a railroad that was being built alongside the River Kwai. Conditions were awful. Some people report between one and 2,000 people died for every five miles of the railroad that was built. Gordon writes in his memoirs, death was everywhere, and as conditions worsened, lives became poisoned by selfishness, hate, and fear. Existence had become so miserable that nothing mattered except to survive. We lived by the law of the jungle. It was a case of I look out for myself and to hell with everyone else. Everyone was his own keeper. All the restraints of morality were gone. But one afternoon something happened. A shovel was missing at the end of the day. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced immediately or else. And when no one in the squadron confessed to taking it, he got out his rifle and threatened to kill every one of them on the spot. Suddenly one man stepped forward. I took it, he said. The officer put down his gun, picked up a shovel and beat the man to death. But at the second tool check, there was no shovel missing. A mistake had been made. The news spread like wildfire through the camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save everyone else. It had a huge effect. Gordon says, we began to treat each other like brothers. Death was still with us, but we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. What happened? The sacrificial love of one man 
change the jungle into a family. Let's pray. I'll give you a moment in quiet to reflect and then lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for this story that Jesus told. And we pray that you would help us to, to grasp its reality, to see its truth for us. Help us to grasp the true nature of sin. Help us to see that sin in our own hearts, in the attitude that we have towards you. Help us to know your heart, your heart of compassion and reckless love. Help us to see the, the cost of our salvation, to know that we have a, a true, loving, older brother who was willing to bear that cost on our behalf to bring us home. I pray for any here who've not yet uh, received that salvation, not yet turned back and come home to you. I pray that your spirit would enable them to do that, to know that you are longing, waiting, uh, always ready to receive them. Help us to reckon with the wonderful privileges of our adoption and identity as your children. And we pray that these truths would shape us as a church family, that the love that we've received would be reflected in the love that we show. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.